the sky is going to read to us. John, chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I said that I am the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So, as we continue through John's Gospel, we've got to that point uh, in the story where Jesus has uh, curried in, as it were, with his friends. These are the people that he spent most time with. And now he has this opportunity in these final few days and hours of his life to say, this is, this is it. This is what you really, really need to know. All that other stuff is great, but here we are. This is the, my last opportunity to speak to you, to teach you, and I want you to listen. Last week, he said that everything that he did was to bring glory to God the Father. But in what was to come, he himself would be glorified. And today's reading um, contains what nowadays would be considered one of the most controversial things that Jesus is recorded as having said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pretty arrogant claim. And nowadays, when we live in a world where everybody has their own truth, how do you challenge? What do you say? Is it not a bit much to suggest that everyone else should give up their ways and their beliefs and follow Jesus instead? I know that there are people who profess to be Christian who reject Jesus' claim to being unique. But the problem is that doesn't work. If you take Jesus off the throne, something else has to be put on there. The idea that all religions lead to God sounds lovely, sounds very democratic, but it's nonsense. It doesn't take long 
to, to read through what different uh, groups think to discover that you can't have all of them. They don't all lead to the same thing. And it's not just John's gospel that you would lose if you accept that idea. That would be the whole New Testament. Because the whole New Testament says this is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. This is God's plan for the world. It was to bring Jesus into the world to save people. The God of the Israelites in the Old Testament is still the God of Israel in the New. But he has acted decisively within history to bring Israel's story to its proper conclusion and through that to rescue the world. Of course, there has been arrogance in the way that message has been presented over the years. But the setting of the passage so that where people have been arrogant about it, that's actually to deny the very truth that Jesus presents. This is the Jesus who has just washed their feet and told them to copy his example. The Jesus who was on his way to give himself for us. There's no arrogance in that. John's stated purpose in writing is that the people who read his book will have enough information to be able to believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. You, you don't really, you can't really get to know someone unless they reveal themselves to you. Nobody can really get to know you unless you share what you think. They see how you behave. They spend time with you, and you get to know them. And if there's a God... Uh, who, who wanted us to know him, he would have to reveal himself in some way. But it would have to be some way that people would understand. And so, to me, it seems sensible that that's what's happening here, that God is revealing himself through Jesus so that we can understand who he is. Outside the Gospels, there is and plenty of evidence that there was a person called Jesus and that there was a, a religious grouping centered around that person. So the argument seems not to be whether he actually existed, but what his existence means. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was fully human. He had a body. He had emotions. He experienced the kind of things that we experience. But people sometimes today would say, well, yeah, okay, he was a human being, he probably existed, but maybe he was just a really good human being, the best human being ever. You know, he was certainly a great religious teacher, but, well, that's really about it. To suggest that he was God, well, that's just too far, too much, and we can't go there with you. So there are two parts to the argument. First thing is, what did Jesus think about himself. Because if Jesus didn't think that he was God, well, we are wasting our time. It's the end of the argument if he didn't think that he was God. But even if he did think that he was God, was he right? So what did Jesus say about himself? The first thing is that Jesus' teaching was centered on himself. 
normally great religious teachers point away from themselves and to someone or something else. Don't look at me, look at them. Jesus did the opposite. Come to me, look at me. I am the way, I am the life. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. If you want that hunger that's in you satisfied, the only place to go is me. John 8.36, if the sun sets you free, you really will be free. You know, there's stuff in our lives that we don't like, stuff that we want to get rid of. Well, how do we get set free from that? Well, Jesus says, come to me and I'll set you free. Those habits, those things that bother you, that, that hold you back, come to me and I'll set you free. There's all the stuff that we carry around. Worry, anxiety, fear, guilt. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. If you want peace of mind, come to me. Matthew ten forty. If you receive me, you receive God. If you welcome me, you welcome God. John fourteen nine. If you have seen me, you have seen God. So Jesus quite clearly is saying, I am the one who meets human need. I am God. There's no, there's no equivocation there. And then Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins. He went up to people and he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, do you know, that was, for those days, particularly offensive. And the religious people got on their high horse and their question was, who can forgive sins except God? So when people tell you, as they sometimes do, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, that's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Of course he did. There, it's right there. Your sins are forgiven. Who can do that except God? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who, who does that except God? Forgiveness is at the heart of what Jesus came to do, to make it possible for human beings to have a relationship with God. And that's the heart of our Christian faith. In John chapter 10, verses 30 to 33, he says this, I and the Father are one. And the people who listened to that decided that that was blasphemy. And blasphemy deserves death. So it goes on. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Because they understood that that was a, a claim that he was God. Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? 
He said, you've seen the miracles. You've seen all the things that I've done. You've seen me raising Lazarus from the dead. You've seen all of that. What, what is it that's got you so worked up? And the response was, we're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And it's an astonishing claim. I mean, if I came to you next Sunday and said, you know, something happened to me during the week, and I am now God, you would quite rightly go, uh-huh, or something like that. Do you know? But, but Jesus is saying, you've seen, you've seen my life. You've seen all the things that I've done. You've seen the miracles. You've heard the teaching. All of that there speaks to me being God. So what's your problem? What is it you don't get? What is it you don't believe? Of course, a claim like that needs to be tested. And there are really only three possibilities. Either it's not true, and Jesus knew perfectly well that it wasn't true. In which case, he's simply a liar and a cheat. Or else it wasn't true, and he just didn't realize he really genuinely believed that he was God. In which case, well, there are mental health issues. But the only other option is that it is true. C.S. Lewis, author of the Chronicles of Narnia and various other books, said this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be insane or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else insane or something worse. But let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. So then, Jesus clearly thought that he was God. The second part of that, was he right? Where is the evidence to support his claim? Well, the first thing was his teaching. Lots of people who don't particularly think or call themselves Christian would say that Jesus was a great teacher. You know, they go back to some of the things that he said and say, that's amazing. That's really great stuff. You get the Sermon on the Mount and people uh, refer to it. I mean, even, you know, we had Mrs. Thatcher who did the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I'm not saying it was the same quality, but people go, people refer back. They, they, they look at Jesus and say, wow, look what he taught, look what he said. Great stuff. And it's never really been improved on over 2,000 years. All of the other stuff that we've kind of improved, all the, the advances in, in, in health and technology and, and, and nutrition, all of that stuff, but, but the teaching of Jesus never really been improved on. And they're the kind of words that you would expect God to speak. And then there was his life, the things that he did. Do you know, I think it would have been amazing to be with Jesus? You'd go to a party and they run out of wine. It'd be great. Here's some more. Goes to Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come back. He walks on the water. 
I mean, all of that stuff. You think, wow, wouldn't it have been great to be there, to see, you know, what was going on, to be one of those disciples, one of those people following Jesus. And yeah, it would, but do you know what? We still can. That's the whole point. Now, today, if we really look to God and we really trust God, we can still do those things. Because God says, you'll do the same things as me and even greater. Well, what are the greater things? Who knows? I think one of them, though, must be sharing the gospel with other people and seeing them come to faith. To see that new, that new Christian being born and going, wow, look at that. That's amazing. To see one person brought into the kingdom. That's one of the greater things. But to love him and trust him and walk with him. To pray for his kingdom to come. To experience that in our own lives and in the lives of others. Those are the greater things. Jesus sent his disciples then out into the world. And we, we do, we do kind of like the bit, oh yes, they all go out and they all come back and they're all happy because it was all great. What we forget is that he sent them out to heal the sick, to proclaim that the kingdom was near, and to raise the dead. That's quite challenging actually. <laughs> do you know? I'm, I'm, I'm not really into you sending me out to do that this week. But the question is, why not? Why do we find that so challenging? Jesus did it. His followers did it. Why should we not? Because he is still God. He is still on the throne. He fulfilled prophecy from the Old Testament. No one else in the history of the world has had a whole collection of books written about them before they were born. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies, 29 of them in a single day. And you might say, oh, well, obviously, he just got hold of the Old Testament and he learned it and then he went around saying, oh, right, I've done that one and I've done that one and I've done that one. The only problem with that one is... You know, when you get to be 15 or 16 and you read it, you think, oh, dash, I should have been born in Bethlehem. Because, you know, <laughs> it's too late, but then, hey, it just doesn't make sense. I'll go, oh, oh, I'll go around fulfilling all these prophecies. That's not how it works. Humanly speaking, he had no control over most of them. The exact manner of his death was prophesied. The place of his burial was prophesied. His resurrection, even the place of his birth. And then there's what happens with death. The cornerstone of Christianity, relevant to every one of us here, because statistically speaking, one in one dies. There's not really much escape from that. The Victorians used to talk a lot about death, but they never really talked about sex. Nowadays we talk a lot about sex, but we don't really talk much about death the kind of thing that you don't really mention. But people still die. And when you go to a funeral and the coffin goes into the ground, it looks absolutely final. And it would be unless death had been conquered. And when Jesus was raised to life, death 
was conquered. So that those who believe in him and have faith in him have the hope of eternity. And so, you know, Paul writes that, that we shouldn't grieve like people who have no hope. Because our hope is in Christ. And if he's not God, then we are people who have no hope. Where's the evidence for the resurrection? Well, he wasn't in the tomb. <laughs> so, who took the body? You know, if, if the Romans or if the Jews had taken the body and then suddenly the church has grown, why would they not just come and say, hey guys, do you know, this is not really going to work because we've got them here. People have come up with all sorts of explanations over the years. When the disciples heard that Jesus had been raised from the dead, they ran to the tomb. When they got to the tomb, they looked in, and what they found was that the grave clothes were still there. The only valuable thing for a robber to steal was still there. And they've collapsed on themselves like a, a caterpillar's cocoon when the butterfly has vanished. All except the bit that had been around his head. And it had been taken and folded up and put in a different place. And it says when they saw that, they believed. And then there's the difference it made to these disciples. Jesus was seen on several occasions, on one occasion by more than 500 people at the same time. And, and people, oh, it was just a hallucination. Of course, you know, that must have been what it was. They were all on drugs or, you know, they're all so high and excited they just imagined it. Of course, people do hallucinate. We, we, we understand that. But here was the cynic, Thomas, who met Jesus. Here were people who actually, they were terrified. They had locked themselves away in fear of the authorities. And then they meet Jesus. And one day they're out on the street. And Holy Spirit comes. And they are transformed. And the world is transformed. Because God has poured out his spirit in a new a different way. And so they are not only saying we've seen Jesus, but they are living out a life that expresses that faith in Jesus. History suggests to us that most of them died pretty horrific deaths as a result of their faith in Christ. Some were crucified or beheaded. They were tortured. And they went through that because... They believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And from there, the world comes across something new, comes across the church, and it's still happening today. There are almost three and a half billion Christians in the world. They're from every ethnicity, every continent, every nationality, every economic, social, or intellectual background. And while sometimes we look at the world through the, the kind of jaundice that we've had of, of years of decline in church in Scotland, 
across the world, the church is growing. Because God is still at work, and people are still being introduced to Jesus, and their lives are being transformed because of it. Why? Because he is the way and the truth and the life. So was he right? Well, I think he was. When you look at his teaching, the things that he did, the way he lived, his character, his fulfillment of prophecy, his resurrection, it seems to me to be absurd, illogical, and unbelievable to say that he was either insane or a fraud. My personal experience is that rather than having some kind of dramatic and exciting change for me, it's been a long, often slow process of learning that when Jesus said, I've come that you would have life in all its fullness, that's what he meant. My life has been changed because I believe in Jesus. I believe that he really is the way and the truth and the life, the way to get to heaven. Of course, it's not always easy. Of course, there are ups and downs. Of course, we mess up. Of course, we do. But for me, I found the truth, the way, the life in Christ. And that leaves us all with the question, have you? Has your life been changed by an encounter with Jesus? And if not, then today is an opportunity to go to him and say, Lord, I want you in my life. I want to find the way, the truth, and life in all its fullness. If you have then it's not just for you to enjoy and to benefit from. Other people also need to know the truth of who Jesus is. Amen.